be the no you want to hear in the world. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek, that is what we truly want, and you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to Fiverr for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. It's so easy to find freelance talent for your business or product. Don't waste any more time. Get 10% off and the service you deserve by going to F-I-V-E-R-R.com and use code DREAMJOB. Also, thanks to Undercover Tourist. If you are planning a theme park vacation, save significant time and money by going to UndercoverTourist.com slash DREAMJOB. Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I hope you had a great weekend. My sister was in town, really fun. I love having dance parties with her in the car, dancing to Flo Rida, dancing to Huey Lewis in the news, Megan Trainer, just fun. And, uh, and I hope that she comes back soon. I was telling her that she should be here for the Arrive Summit. I'm like, it's going to be so cool. And it is going to be so cool. We just added even more awesome humans who are coming, including Krista and Lindsay from Almost 30. I told you guys that my friend Jenny Goldfarb from Unreal Deli, who won Shark Tank, she's going to be there. And also Yardley Smith, who plays Lisa Simpson. So many amazing people are going to be at this event and we are going to break you into groups. You are going to get to brainstorm your ideas. You are going to have fun. You are going to start to put the pieces together and you're going to feel like you arrive home to yourself. You arrive at your own door and you arrive to that next level. You break through whatever is in the way, whatever limiting belief, whatever is needing more clarification so that you can see clearer, so you can put on a new pair of glasses and see the path ahead so that you can actually start to chart a course. And it's going to be amazing. I've been doing these giveaways for some tickets every day, singing 80s TV show theme songs. I sang the Golden Girls theme song. Thank you for being a friend. And I sang the Punky Brewster theme theme song every time I turn around and I've been giving away tickets. So check out my Instagram at kathy.heller because I'll be giving away some more tickets. And I'd love to see you guys there. Um, you can go to kathyheller.com slash arrive and get tickets. They are selling out fast. We just have a small group of tickets left, but I'd love to be with you March 22nd and 23rd. Also, we have one spot left for my very intimate, amazing retreat at my home. It's going to be three days at my home, March 15th through 18th. If you want to be a part of it, DM me. I have a little scholarship money I can give you as well because we're probably not going to be doing another retreat for about a year. And so if you want in, DM me. First come, first serve. I'll get you in. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. 
We have the one and only Sarah Knight. She's back. In case you haven't heard her amazing episode from last year, she's the best-selling author of the uber-popular No Fs Given Guides, including books like The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving an F, Get Your S Together, You Do You, Calm the F Down, and her latest book, F No, is another amazing read. It's all about how to put your foot down and say no to the things that aren't serving you anymore, whether that means saying no to other people or to your own expectations. It's so good, and we're going to talk about all of this in this episode. All of Sarah's work is meant to help you manage your mental health, set goals, take risks, embrace your full self, and find that permission to act on the feelings that you have, but you've been too scared to follow through with. I love how she focuses on taking care of you because you really are the number one person in your life and you deserve to stand up for yourself and feel good and feel like you're living life on your terms. So I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Without further ado, please welcome Sarah Knight. Sarah Knight, thank you so much for making the time to be here. Thank you for inviting me back. Your episode, you were here once before. It is one of the most downloaded episodes ever on this show. That is wild. You guys, if you didn't hear her first episode on our show, I will link to it in the show notes so that you guys can get some of her backstory because it's a pretty, pretty phenomenal story of how she was able to quit her own job and make her own way. And she's written so many great books. And we want to talk about your newest book. And it's so juicy. So her latest book is called F No. And I want to ask you just what's the genesis of this book? Like what sparked this idea? Well, my very first book was called The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving an F. Mm -hmm. And that book was really about how to get to a place in your own mind where you can uh, value things and, and then express those values in terms of what you do and don't do with your life. Things you don't go to, tasks you don't agree to, people you don't hang out with. And over the course of the last four years, I've had a bunch of other books come out in the series. And the messages that I get from people with regard to the first one are, okay, I get it. I understand you're telling me that it is okay to care about what I want to care about, not care about what I don't, and say no. But how do I say no? What are the words that I should be using to say no and to not become you know, a social pariah or have people think I'm a jerk or whatever? So yep. that is really where the latest book was born because I wanted to be able to give concrete, practical examples of how you can say no in almost any situation and also a lot of theory about why it's okay and uh, why you don't have to feel guilty about it. Oh, it's so good. I want to really dive in deep because I think that this stems from an old survival skill. I think for most of us, we learn to be pleasers. We learn not to rock the boat, uh, especially for women. I think that we want to make make sure everybody's comfortable before we say anything or do anything. And uh, I know for myself, I've suffered so much because of that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's unpack that pleaser mode and, and wanting to be liked and wanting to make sure everybody's comfortable with who we are and what we say and what we do. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I could not agree more with everything you just said. And part of it can also come from being a genuinely nice person. You know, you want to help, you want to be of service. And then there's that darker flip side of, I feel like I have to help. I feel like I should be of service. I feel like I am obligated. And if I don't, then I am guilty. And those are the things that I really try to discuss and, and pull apart and unpack and repack in the book. Because I do think that women not only are they socialized as young girls to please everybody and to serve everybody, but also to kind of 
calm everybody and to make sure that, you know, nobody feels bad, nobody else feels bad. And so saying yes has been this shorthand to accomplishing that. And frankly, that can often make us feel extremely bad when we have said yes to way too many things and depleted uh, our time, energy, and money. Yeah, this is such an important conversation. For me, this has been all of my healing work. And um, in December, I actually went to a week-long uh, personal development retreat at a place called Onsite, which is about an hour outside of Nashville. And the very first day, they wrote a word on the board, codependent. Mm-hmm. And um, I never thought I was codependent because I'm not a needy person, but I realized that being codependent means that I want to make sure everybody's okay. Meaning my well-being is dependent on making sure everybody's okay. So that is actually the flip side of the needy part. It's I need everyone to be okay. Mm -hmm. And um, they went on to talk about how so many of us struggle with this. And sometimes it's from growing up and having a parent who's an alcoholic or a parent who's filled with rage and you learn to walk on eggshells. And sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it just could be that you had a very critical parent um, or you had a parent who was suffering from depression and you, you needed to keep them okay. It is just so rampant. And I couldn't believe how much of my life I have suffered, literally had physical, felt physically ill if I felt that I would say something or do something that was my truth that someone else might not like. That is, that is really heavy. And I'm sorry that that has been the case for you. And I think it is the case for so many people uh, who are listening right now. And certainly I can identify with a lot of what you're talking about, you know, as just as the child of teachers who were extremely focused on my academic excellence and the refrain, check your work, check your work, um, was something that I, I carry with me to this day. And it really, yeah. it fueled this good feeling, right? When I could be number one or I could be the best I could get the A and I could come home and report that to people who wanted that for me. And I think that that carried forward into my young adult and adult life in ways that were less than healthy. And I had to sort of untangle that codependence with my own ambition. Yeah. I'm so glad you added that element because I have... I have friends who didn't have the scenario that I painted before where it was like something abusive or scary or some depression from a parent, but they had so much praise that they were constantly told, you're a star. Of course, you're going to get an A. Of course, you're amazing. You're amazing. You're a star. You're perfect. Mm-hmm. So they felt like they, they couldn't let them down. And so it's incredible how many different ways this can start to really dictate who we are and how much anxiety we, we start to, to feel because if every choice I make means I have to think about how someone else is going to feel, that is exhausting. It's impossible. Well, there you go. You're absolutely right. It's impossible. It's certainly impossible to do and still be a happy, healthy person. And, you know, this is something that I talk about across all of the the No Fs Given Guide series is you got to look out for number one and that selfish is not a four-letter word. And it's something that I get a little bit of pushback on from people who say, I don't know, that sounds... It sounds a little bit nasty. It sounds, you know, self-serving. I'm not sure that's a lesson I want to teach others or that I want to get too carried away with on my own. And I really firmly believe that the boundaries you set are for yourself. 
the most important and pertinent questions and valuable questions that you ask are of yourself, not of other people. You have to figure out what you want and need first, what allows you to function at your peak capacity, whatever that may be, and what makes you the happiest, the calmest, you know, whatever your goal is. And then secondarily, you can think about how do I communicate that to other people and keep their feelings in mind. But the decisions you should be making for yourself, the communicating, fine. We choose our battles and we are more or less diplomatic in order to, uh, you know, not hurt other people's feelings. But I think the decision making and the communicating of the decision are two very separate things. And the first one needs to be between you, yourself and you. Yeah, it's so good. And because you're such a unicorn that you <laughs> take such a stand for what you need, but what was your breaking point where you were like, I'm done being a pleaser, being a perfectionist, worrying about everybody else? Like, Give us that, that moment where you finally broke through. Um, well, it was literally a, a very physical, painful scenario. I had a panic attack in my high-rise midtown office building and just kind of realized, oh, all of this bad feeling and weird feeling and all of these physical symptoms and all of this stress has been getting to me. And I didn't really know how bad it was until mm. my body just gave out. Um, and it took me another four or so years after that to really um, make some big changes in my life. And so I changed jobs. Uh, it was great for a long time. And then a lot of the same things started happening to me. Mm. And I kind of realized, oh, you know what, Sarah, like you've been long a person who has been identified by their ambition, which meant their career and that kind of success. And you're going to have to change that because this is not what is going to bring you happiness. It's only bringing you down this working for a corporation, being diplomatic. Um, but really it was my, my mental health that was the, the catalyst for the big change. And so I ended up quitting and going freelance and then started to write these books. And here we are. And look, look what was on the other side of that. And it's amazing how you finally, you know, saying what you needed to say, you've helped so many other people to find the words. And so it's like, it is true that often our pain becomes our purpose. And the thing is that it's amazing to me when Martha Beck was here and, you know, the woman is pretty bright. She has three Harvard degrees and she was a sociology professor. And she said, Kathy, what I couldn't understand studying societies across the world is how many free people, people in free places voluntarily chose to be miserable, to do things they hated mm -hmm. and didn't free themselves from that. There is so much shame, Sarah, around allowing ourselves to have joy. I think this is an epidemic. It's not only the worthiness of like, who am I to do it? Am I good enough? There's that. Absolutely. But then there's also this, something has been modeled where it's like, who are you? Who does she think she is to like go and be happy, mm -hmm. like to go and do something she wants to do? We had to put that off. We had to sacrifice that. That's the choices you make to be a grown-up. Is that not true? Oh, for sure. And I think especially for women, again, like we are taught to sublimate our own joy, uh, you know, for others. And I think that it's, you know, refreshing, I guess, as, I, as I'm getting all of the feedback from readers to have somebody, especially a woman, say, you're allowed to be happy and you're allowed to make a, a lot of changes to your life in order to get to that happiness. You yeah. don't have to just sit back and take what you've been dealt or what you thought you wanted. It's okay <laughs> to change your mind, you know, that's so and that's, true. that's also really important because I think I've had 
a few separate identities over my life. And it's really okay. You don't have to be the same person for 80 years. You can be one person for 20 and, and another person for another 10. And then you can make some changes and adjustments and be another person for the next 15. And it's, it's really okay. I'm so happy you're saying that because you talk about this concept in your book of no and switch. So tell us what you mean about this concept of no and switch and changing and all of that. So in, uh, in the new book, I talk about four sort of prototypes for saying no. And, and these are just overarching, uh, you know, patterns that you can, you can draw on when you need to say no to something. And one of the best ones for beginners is the no and switch. And this is when you say no to the thing that's been asked of or offered to you, but you offer an alternative that works better for you. So for the people who say, I'm just not sure I can say no, I don't feel right about it. Um, I say, well, if this is something you really don't want to spend your time, energy, and money on, or you have no desire to do, but you still feel a little bit guilty, or you do want to do something nice for the person who's asked you, why don't you offer something different that works for you, a different time, a different level of commitment? Uh, so that's what the no and switch is. And I do think that it is, uh, it really gets back to that idea of being able to, to pivot and to adjust and adapt and you know, think of yourself first, like I said, make the decision for you, no, but then communicate in a way that, that is helpful to the person you're talking to. Switch yeah. it up. What do we do when we have so much fear that the person will leave, they won't like us, they'll be mad, and therefore we don't know how to say what we need? Well, I always come back to the idea of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I really think that putting yourself, when you're starting to feel that guilt and that fear, thinking of it logically like, well, what would I want if the roles were reversed? What would I expect if the roles were reversed? And if this person said no to me, how would I feel about it? And what would I do? And I think that gets a lot of people to a much more reasonable and rational headspace where they go, yeah, it's totally understandable to say no to this request. And if somebody said it to me in this manner and this time frame and with this level of respect, I would take it, you know, at face value. And then you go another step further and say, well, who am I dealing with? If it's somebody who is a friend, a family member who respects me, who I think of as a good person, they're probably going to take it pretty well. And if they don't, I think that says more about them than it does about you. And you have to be willing to have a couple of those uncomfortable, potential first time, rip off the bandaid, no, you know, fear factors before you do it. And then you realize, oh, this actually wasn't so hard. They're reacting in a reasonable way because they are a reasonable person just like me. Yeah. It's so th confronting what you're saying to me because I am such a great pleaser. I've gotten an A plus in it. <laughs> I, I am so good at that. I've sat with someone twice where I knew my parking meter was going to expire and I watched myself get a ticket because I didn't want to get up and interrupt them. Wow. That's hardcore. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm telling you, I'm a black belt. Um, <laughs> I have been in situations where I'm on a boat and I was the girl on the side of the boat throwing up the whole time because I get really seasick. Oh. And instead of um, when the, the captain, because it was like just a little boat like that we took out for like an hour or so, mm -hmm. do you want to go back? And it was my dad's birthday. I said, oh, no, absolutely not. No, totally fine. And my sister looked at me like, you're literally throwing up. 
I was like, it's fine. And then when we got off the boat, she said, I think you should go home. My dad's like, no, we were going to go have a dinner now. We're going to go to this fish restaurant. My sister's like, you're going to eat fish now? You threw up for two hours. And I was like, of course, don't even say anything. And of course I sat at the restaurant and how it shows up in my life uh, today is constantly. And my relationship to support is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I've learned though, that if I, if I finally say something and the person walks out, I've learned that that is a big blessing. Somebody just gave me a gift. Yeah. It's so big what we're talking about. And the byline to your book is how to stop saying yes when you can't, you shouldn't, or you just don't want to. I think that this is across all aspects of our life. Um, I think that there are people who want to charge more, but they don't because they're afraid that the person won't pay it or they'll think that they're greedy. And that's a boundary, right? Mm -hmm. How do we start to rise up and do those things when we are terrified. Like if I ask for more money, you know, or if I put this out there on my Instagram, uh, my customers might leave. Well, I can say from personal experience, uh, when I went out on my own as a freelance editor before I started writing the books, that I severely undersold myself, undersold my experience, uh, my talent, my connections, because I was afraid I wouldn't get business if I charged too much. And it took me, you know, if you go back and you tally up all the hours you spend doing a job for which you are undercompensated, it is infuriating. And that was really the thing that lit the fire under me to say, no, you know what? My rates are way too low. I need to boost them up. And I didn't lose, I didn't even get a blink when I boosted them. So I boosted them again. The same goes for negotiating book contracts and putting your foot down and saying, no, I want more. And in the real world, usually if you ask for more than somebody wants to give, they'll just say no, and you can move on. It's not like no, and you're fired or no, and I'm never speaking to you again. It's just like, oh, we've hit the limit. And my, my husband, who I've mentioned a couple times now in this interview, has a unique perspective on it as a real estate broker. He always just reminds me, you know, you have to listen to what the market's telling you. And when the market tells you X is not worth Y, then you listen. And until it tells you that, then keep asking for X. It's so true. And, and that is so interesting about pricing just while we're on the topic. There is a market. Like you're not making it up. Like if you're selling candles, there's a market already. There's a low mm-hmm. end and a high end. Mm-hmm. So you can decide to be putting yourself in the high end. It's already there. It's already established, right? You're not doing anything duplicitous. And I think that we just have so much of this apologizing. It's just this constant apologizing for what we need, for what we feel. How has saying no improved your life? I have created a much simpler and more pleasurable life for myself. And it's happened in myriad ways. You take the small things, the, no, I don't do things before nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, did you want to have a conference call? I can do it after 9am. You know, these are the little things that make my life better because I'm a terrible insomniac. I can't get to sleep. But then there are these sort of bigger existential no's, one of which was to say, no, I will not let myself be defined by this career that I've invested 15 years in. Just because I always thought that's what I was going to do, just because I thought that once I was an assistant editor, I'd become an associate editor and a senior editor and then a VP and then a publisher, doesn't mean that that's what I have to do. And so I I sort of said this existential no to holding myself to past expectations. And so 
I would say that I, I break it all down in all of the books to those three resources that I keep mentioning, time, energy, and money. And the key is to make the decision about how you want to budget those things, how you want to spend them, what you want to spend them on, and then saying no to the things that you don't. And you know, the, the key is things that you can't do. Stop saying yes to things you can't do. Oh, I'll figure it out later. Just don't say yes if you can't do it. If you don't have the room, if you don't have the expertise, if you don't have the space in your calendar. Things that you shouldn't do and things that you just don't want to do. It is okay to say no to. And I just did not want to spend another day working in a corporate publishing office. Oh my gosh, I love this conversation. But before we keep going, let's just thank our sponsors. Spring break is coming up and I know my kids are going to be saying, mommy, mommy, I want to go to a theme park. I do love taking them there, but it can be really expensive and a lot to plan. Thankfully, I found Undercover Tourist, which is a time and money saver for that theme park vacation. With Undercover Tourist, you can get the exact same tickets to theme parks you know and love for less. In fact, you can save an average of $100 per ticket to top attractions for your family vacation, and there's no catch. They're an authorized seller with 20 years of quality service providing theme park and attraction tickets at discounted prices. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and over 1 million app downloads of their Orlando Wait Times app. It's completely hassle-free, they'll send you the tickets ahead of time so you can skip the lines and go straight to the rides and they offer 90-day ticket returns where applicable with friendly knowledgeable agents plus you can get additional discounts bundling tickets with hotels and car rentals undercover tourist is a trusted name for your theme park tickets start planning your next theme park vacation now by visiting undercovertourist.com slash dream job that's an additional discount using undercovertourist.com slash dream job on top of the big savings already offered through undercover tourist that's undercovertourist.com slash dream job There usually comes a point in our entrepreneurial journey when we need to hire a freelancer, and this can be time-consuming, overwhelming, expensive, and just a big headache. Thanks to Fiverr, finding the right freelancer doesn't have to be a struggle. Fiverr's Marketplace helps you get more done with less. It connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. We've used Fiverr to help us create some graphics, and it was such an easy process. We just searched for the type of service we needed, and then we could look at the different packages every designer offered, how long it take for them to get the work done, plus their prices and reviews from other users. It's super transparent and you know exactly what you're paying for upfront. The designer was really responsive and they did a great job. It was so convenient to have this option available. So I definitely recommend if you need some help on something that's out of your expertise, take five and check out fiverr.com and you'll receive 10% off your first order by using my code dreamjob. So easy. Don't waste any more time and get the service you deserve by going to fiverr.com and use code dreamjob. Fiverr, it starts here. I want to ask you, you have this quiz. Why do I say yes all the G damn time? What are some common reasons that people say yes too much? Well, you've got people pleaser covered, right? You want to yeah, be nice. I got that. You yeah. want to make people happy. Some people are just, they're pushovers. They just don't have a no bone in their body. Some people like me are overachievers. You know, they say yes because they think that it's good and and it means that they are successful and winners if they just say yes to everything. And so there's there's a lot of different reasons, both you're saying yes because of what you want and think other people want and think of you. And then you say yes because of what you think of yourself, because you're competitive or because you have a desire to to win or be the best or be involved in everything. They're just afraid of not being present for something that they might have liked. And you have to be the one to make that decision in the first place and just decide, do I want to go to this party or do I want to stay home? And if after you stay home, you regret it, then you can make a different decision the next time. But there's no point in spending you know, the entire evening tied up in knots about the decision that you made. Make it, yeah. stick to it, 
and then revisit it if it wasn't the right decision. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, just the other day I posted on Instagram, don't be upset about the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. Oh yes. I liked that immediately. <laughs> yeah. It's so Sarah. It's like my, it's my sticking my baby toe into like being like assertive uh-huh. because I just get so sick of it. It's like, there's all these incredible people. They're so talented, special, brilliant. I get it. I see it. I'm so aware of it or else I wouldn't do my show but they're not doing anything because they're so worried about getting hurt. They're so worried that they're going to choose the goal, go all in, and then they're going to be a failure. They're going to make something mediocre. It's like, yeah, of course you will, right? But what you're saying is like, you have to make that decision. And if you make the decision, then it is confronting because it means you have to do something about it. Yeah. And I really think that that fear of failure is worse than failure itself. You know, failure happens. It happens every single day. Like, this should not be news to any of us. You know, some people are just so overwhelmed that they can't make a goal. Some people are afraid that they'll fail at their goal. And some people are afraid that even if they, even if they succeed, it won't be to their own standards. And that was something that I struggled with as a recovering perfectionist. And I try to recognize that in people, as you said you do. I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. But then sometimes I just go, look, you're not doing the work. So yeah, I, can't, yeah. I can't listen to you complain anymore. Yeah. And what I've learned in therapy is that when we tell ourselves whatever we tell ourselves to be true, there's a payoff, right? We do it because there's something about it that makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. And so it's really what you said. If I don't have a decision yet, um, I don't have to do anything. If I keep telling myself that um, the people who made it are lucky, I just have to wait to be lucky and I wasn't mm-hmm. the one getting lucky. So it's actually not my fault, right? Mm-hmm. And it comes down to what you said before. You have to make a decision and, and failure is going to happen. And I'm curious for you because you're such a successful author and you haven't written one or two good books. You've written several. How much of the time are you making messy things? Yeah, the writing process, man. When I was an editor, uh, I felt like I was really, I had my finger on the pulse. I felt so confident in that job of being sort of a puppeteer and a sometime collaborator. I did not know how different and more and differently challenging it would be to actually write the words myself. So I have to this day, a lot of false starts. I write entire sections that don't make it into the books. I write things that get edited by my editors in the US and the UK that I cringe to think that, oh God, I can't believe I sent them that. I've had to become very loosey goosey with my willingness to be criticized and to put my myself out there. And that's something that as a control freak and as with that perfectionist tendency was really difficult for me. But I also, you know, I have other things in my life that are much less quantifiable than, you know, getting a good review on a book or getting good sales on a book. And I've noticed, especially since I moved with my husband from New York to the Dominican Republic a few years ago, making friends, creating a community is a whole new world. I don't really care if people like me, but it's sort of like, was I good in that situation, in that social situation? When I met that person for the first time, did I give a good impression? You know, did I make them feel like I was interested in what they had to say? Am I going out enough? Am I becoming a loner? Because I'm, you know, I started at zero with friends down here. Like when I had, you know, 35 people I could call at any time of the night or day in New York. And so that's really where my, my own questions about, am I doing this right? Come into play. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful that you would be generous and share your own vulnerability and and where you struggle. But of course, because you're human. And what I think is fascinating, like Brene Brown has talked about how many people criticized her first TED Talk. Mm -hmm. And the first time she read those comments on YouTube, she like 
pulled the covers over her eyes and sat on the couch and watched bad TV all day and felt horrible. And then she realized you could be up in the cheap seats, like talking smack about me, but you're not really important, are you? Mm -hmm. Right? I think it's just so fascinating how we worry about those people who are going to criticize us. And then at the same time, there are those people who they do stand up and they put a stake in the ground. They say, this is me and this is what I believe. And people are cheering and the people who don't like them, it doesn't matter. Yeah. My feeling is that if you have a big enough audience to have haters, then you're doing pretty well. (laughs) Yeah. And you wrote something really cool which is most people do not care nearly as much about how you live your life as you think they do. Yeah, I I stand by that. Um, I think that it it goes to what I said earlier about, you know, if you just try it, if you just say no and you do it honestly and politely, most people are going to accept it because that's what you would do in that situation. And you, once you do that a few times, you start to realize, oh, all of this, you know, negative self-talk was really coming from me. It wasn't coming from other people. They didn't really care whether I said yes or no. They just wanted me to RSVP in a timely fashion. Right. Like sometimes they want you to say no, because then they have a decision, then they can invite somebody else. Um, But what's also interesting when it isn't, let's say somebody is inviting you to a party or someone who's right there personal, like that you know in your life, but let's say people out in the world, right? Like people don't publish their first blog post or their podcast, or they won't start their business because what will people say? People don't care. People are so busy thinking about themselves that even if they do talk about you, even if they do care for, for a second, Two minutes later, they're like, oh, I need to call the guy to fix the thing in the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. They're, they're done. And then, then that's, it's a humbling thought to realize that you know, you're not the center of everybody's universe, but it's also really liberating because you can do a lot more of what you want if you're not worried about what other people think. Yeah. So <laughs> let's break it down in some more tactical ways. Mm-hmm. In just like sort of your basic standard vanilla, what's a good way to say no? It's, it's three words. No, thank you. But then you're going to think, oh my God, the person's going to think like, that's so weird. She's usually so nice. And what does that mean? No, thank you. Oh my God, that sounds so rude. Well, what's not nice about saying thank you for the invitation, but no, I can't be there. You know, this is something that that I go into great detail on in the book, which is that uh, we don't need to give all these reasons. The more reasons you give for not being able to or not wanting to do something, the more people can have to argue with. You're giving them ammunition with which to argue. Um, the point is that you make your decision and then you communicate it. And if you communicate it in a really simple way where there's no slippery handholds you know, for people to grab onto and try to try to argue with you, then you're doing yourself a favor in the long run. Certainly, you can add things like, I can't afford it or I don't have the time, I'm not available. You know, you can add these, these qualifications, but no thank you is a really powerful, simple, easy way to start because there really, there isn't much more conversation to be had after you are asked to do something or offered something and you say, no, thank you. Yeah, it's true. And then what if you say that no, thank you, and, and it's fine, you didn't offer, you didn't apologize or add a million excuses and the person's like, I don't get it. Are you mad? I don't understand. What happened? That's really rude. This is my birthday or I don't get it. I did that for you. So there's there's a progression and I think that, you know, the first 
uh, level of, of pushback is somebody who wants you to change your mind in a nice way. They say, oh, no, like, are you sure? Can you reschedule? You know, oh, that's too bad. And what I like to do is just come back at people with kind of parroting their requests by saying, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it is too bad. Yeah, I wish it was different too, but not take the bait. You know what I mean? And then there are the people who push further into the, the kinds of you know, feedback that you were talking about where they actively are laying on the guilt. And those are the people that, you know, to whom I say either flat out or in my own head, you know, this says more about you, the fact that you can't take a polite no thank you for an answer than it says about me for saying it. But I would actually, I would be very confronting with people who were trying to actively make me feel like a bad person. And I would say, I'm really sorry that you feel that way. I don't think that you know, declining to do X makes me a bad person. We could talk about why you feel that way and I could defend myself or we could just move on. Um, you know, either way, again, I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I don't agree and I'm still not available or I still can't afford it or I still don't want to do that. Um, I think that we underestimate the power of dealing with people in a blunt, practical, and, you know, non terribly nuanced fashion where they say something and then you say, okay, I don't agree with that. Can we move on? Yeah. It's interesting. I know everybody has seen this before, but I posted on my Instagram a while ago, which is no is a complete sentence. And I like that you're adding thank you and all that, but it is kind of shocking when you read that no is a complete sentence because so often we don't allow that to be okay. One thing that I learned recently is that if you just change like your behavior two degrees, if you were on a ship and you change the compass two degrees, like two degrees to the right, if you go out further, a few miles, five more miles after that, a hundred miles after that, you'll wind up in a different continent mm -hmm. because you changed two degrees. And so by starting to say no, even if you say it once to your mom or to your friend or to your neighbor or to someone you work with, that one no literally changes everything for you, especially if it's in line with your own inner wisdom, right? It's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, that is a fantastic metaphor. And, you know, the way I've been thinking of it is, is more like working a muscle. So, you know, you say no, and you've, you've done a little something to make that muscle bigger and stronger. And the more you do it, the more reps you do, the more of a changed person you are, you know, in the same way that working your, your actual physical muscles will do for you. It'll make you stronger. It'll make you faster and sleeker and it'll make you feel better. But also, you know, there's a big difference between someone who has never said no and never worked a muscle and someone who has said no a lot and worked the same muscle a lot over time, they are stronger for it. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that over the last few years, as I started to like be more and more successful, I literally lost like a, one of my closest friends, I would lose a year. Mm -hmm. They would just come to me seemingly out of the blue and just say, I don't think we should be friends anymore. Mm -hmm. And I would say, what? I don't understand it. Oh, I just, you know, I don't really want to be in your sphere or blah. it was like, there was a lot of interesting things that happened. Mm -hmm. And then I gained so many new friends. And I was sitting at dinner the other day with a really close friend who I admire so much. I said to myself, oh my God, I used to settle to sit at a different table with people who weren't that nice to me. Like these, mm -hmm. these three people in mind who I've lost along the way, I always felt I had to work really hard 
to be cool enough for them. It, I'm mm-hmm. not joking. And now I see the kinds of friends that I've made space for. And I see that with all kinds of things with people. And I read the other day this beautiful statement, which is that we live the lives we're willing to tolerate. Oh, wow. And so what we have in our life is because we're like, okay, that's fine. And when you start saying, no, it's not fine, watch, just watch how that starts to elevate the new blessing that comes into your life because you're saying no to things that really don't serve you anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it takes the perspective of others who've, who've been there and done that and are primed and ready to, um, to talk about their experiences honestly. I mean, I think that a lot of people, um, you know, especially with what you do and with what I do as well, aren't ready to be quite so transparent and vulnerable about their struggles and what they did. You know, I, I say in the book, be the no you want to hear in the world. The more you do it, the more people are going to bask in your glow and be like, wow, you know, she's somebody who just doesn't do things she doesn't want to do. And she's doing great. Like, I want to be more like her. I should start saying no, you know? Um, And that's a, it's a facile way, you know, to put it when you're talking about just saying yes or no. But I think it's really important for us to all be talking about this stuff. And then you get this bird's eye view and you go, oh, people keep telling me, people keep saying that if I stop living this life that I'm merely willing to tolerate, that if I stop allowing things in my orbit that don't serve me, things could get better. Yeah. I think so many people, you know, will say to me, I love to do more stuff for myself or start that side hustle. I don't have the time. Let's talk about that for a second because women, especially when their moms feel so guilty to take time away to make the space for themselves. What do you have to say about that? Well, I I say this actually in my second book that me time is a right, not a privilege. And that you have to be able to fill up your own tank again in order to go out there and do all of the things for yourself and other people, whether those are your family or your coworkers, clients, your boss, your family, um, whatever. You have to be able to replenish your resources. And that takes on different forms for different people. For some people, it's making time for therapy. For some people, it's exercise. For some people, it's napping. For some people, it's eating, you know, a meal alone with a glass of rosé and a good book. And the point is that we have to stop looking at it as a privilege, as an extra, as a bonus thing. And it should just be part of our normal routine. And so actually in in my book, Get Your Stuff Together, I guess would be the, yeah, get the your censored version yeah. of that. You know, I say, schedule it in. If you have convinced yourself that you don't have the time or convinced yourself that your me time, whatever that is, is not worthy, then treat it like you would any other appointment and schedule it in. And voila, there is the time. So good. It's so good. And, and it reminds me of something which I read about a month ago, which says like everybody wants to change the world, right? But nobody wants to change themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and this is so true. Like if you ask somebody their opinion about the state of the world or politics, people have a mouthful, right? Meanwhile, we would do such a better job at making the world better if we took care of our own well-being. It's so important what you're saying. And if you don't have 10 minutes for you, you don't have a life. Yeah. And I would argue that if you really can't find those 10 minutes, I just don't think that's true. And I, and I hope that none of your listeners feel uh, offended or, or hurt by that statement, but there've got to be ways to 
reduce the amount of time you're spending on some other things. You know, if you're staying at work until 6.30 every day, could you leave at 6.10? You know, could you gain that 20 minutes for yourself? If you're going out to professional lunches that are routinely lasting almost two hours, could you say, I have somewhere to be and make them last an hour and 15 minutes and gain that 45 minutes back for yourself? Yes, I think you can. I think there are ways to take back that time little by little and create a space for yourself on the daily. Um, And if not daily, then certainly weekly. Uh, No excuses (laughs) to replenish and relax. And and just, you know, nobody wants to be around somebody who's stressed and overextended and tired and cranky. Um, So don't be that person. And the way not to be that person is to pay attention to your own well-being. Yeah. And that's why I think the work you're doing is so important because a lot of people will say, you don't understand, I don't have time. But I think if you listen to what Sarah's saying, is there anything you can cut out that you can say no to? Got to be a boundary on how much we can give. And there has to be, like you said, it's a, it's a right, it's not a privilege, uh, how we treat ourselves. And I've seen in my own life that when I start to take better care of myself, people around me take better care of me. Have oh, you found that to be true? Absolutely. And I mean, I think it goes back to the fact that when I wasn't taking good care of myself, I was a really unpleasant, unpredictable uh, force in people's lives, certainly in my husband's life and in my colleagues' lives and my friends. And so you can't expect, you know, people are kind of, you know, they're, they're circling you and you're this cornered cat and they can't get near you because they don't know how you're going to react and you're so in your own sadness or anger or frustration or anxiety that people just want to steer clear. They want to give you a wide berth, sometimes because they're afraid of what might happen and sometimes because they don't know how to help. And so if you start by helping yourself, you're taking away that electrified fence that you built around yourself and letting people, you know, approach you and, and pet you and cuddle with you, uh, metaphorically, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, and you don't have to be that, that hissing cornered cat anymore. Yeah, I hear you. And I think that that's, it is so true. And I think often because you brought up your own marriage that in our relationships, we look to the other person to fill us up and make us happy. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not their job. Nope. And One thing that I learned in my own therapy is that what's fascinating is that the research shows that the best thing you can do for your partnership, for your marriage, for that that union is to go and do the things that fill you up. Mm -hmm. Because when you spend time and energy cultivating yourself, your passion, taking care of yourself, doing meditation, breath work, spending time with girlfriends, you are so much more of you. And this other person now gets to see you come to life and they start to actually raise their vibration and you inspire each other. And I think that that's a whole new way of looking at relationships. I think that people need to really hear what you're saying. What's one thing we can do today to start setting healthy boundaries and taking better care of ourselves? Well, the easy answer would be start saying no. Um, But I like to have a period of self-reflection, whether that's in the morning before I get out of bed or at night before I fall asleep. And I think just taking 10 minutes to lay there, eyes open, eyes closed, doesn't really matter, and think about how I'm feeling in this moment. Am I feeling good? Am I feeling tired? Am I feeling weak? Am I feeling frustrated? And why is that? And what can I do to change that today? And it could be something very small. You know, my house is a mess and I realize that today I have to put aside all of these other things that I intended to do to clean my house because that makes me feel more 
just calm and grounded, or it could be something bigger. Like I have to have a really difficult conversation with one of my parents. Okay. When am I going to do that? And then I can put that out of my head for the rest of my day while I accomplish other things. So I would say take 10 minutes to sort of orient yourself to how you're feeling each day and then make a plan to improve on that feeling. That's so good. And I just want to say one last thing you mentioned, you know, as an example, maybe have a conversation with your parents and what I've learned in my own work is that that's really the root for so many of us is um, going back there. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're changing things in our work, in our life, but we're still allowing a parent to cross a boundary or to use us as their therapist or whatever it is that they've been doing forever that is actually where this all started. Mm-hmm. And what's your best advice on going back to the source, to that relationship and setting a boundary when that is where all of your six-year-old stuff comes up and it's probably the hardest in some ways. This is, this is actually pretty hard for me because there's a lot of, my family is not a, a talking family. We don't, uh, yeah. you know, we don't really talk about our, our problems and our, and our grievances. Um, everybody is pretty, you know, nice, but aloof in that way. And I think that comes from my parents' respective families being more like that. Mm-hmm. And what I just try to remind myself of when I'm having a conflict that is related to my parents or, or other members of my family or even my in-laws is that all I can do is conduct myself in a way that I think is respectful and that gets me from point A to point B and I can't control their reactions. I just really have to bring the focus back in on what I need, what I want, what I deserve out of this interaction and and go for it and you know, I'll get some of it and I won't get some of the rest of it, but I can't be too too concerned about reactions of other people that can't be controlled. And I think that goes to all kinds of people in our lives. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's been my my work of my life learning to articulate what I need and what's not working for me with my parents. And I'm finally at a place where I just say the things that are on my heart. And at first it was not pretty and mm-hmm. they didn't like it. But they both in their own ways came around. Mm-hmm. And we have such a stronger relationship because I'm actually here now and present mm-hmm. and I feel respected. And I think they feel like, well, it was kind of obvious for so long that I was walking on eggshells because how could I actually have never had an opinion other than what they wanted to hear? Like, you know, mm-hmm. so um, it took me 40 years. It took me 40 years and I still get really triggered. And when they come to town, I think to myself, okay, this is a really good test. I know I'm going to want to fall back, but mm-hmm. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do it. So I hope that if everybody, you know, hears this today, if, if you're having a little bit of this in your own life, that you'll take a step toward being real and, and sharing what you need to share. Cause it just might change the way you do everything. I just seen the ripple effects of it. So thank you, Sarah, for this conversation. Tell us where we can find you and buy your book. It's basically nofsgivenguides.com, except we spell out the word that begins yep. with F. Yep. Um, and at that site, you can find out all about me. You can read excerpts of the books, buy the books, download the reading group guides, download all the flowcharts, read all the articles I've ever written, listen to all the podcasts I've ever been on, uh, and follow me on social media from there. I love it. Thank you so much for all of it. Thank you. And, uh, you know, maybe again next year. Who knows? Yeah. Oh my God. She's going to do it again, isn't she? She's going (laughs) to write another bestseller. Thank you, Sarah. 
Thank you. So there you go. Another amazing conversation with Sarah Knight. Okay, here are the takeaways. Number one, you're allowed to be happy and make changes to reach that happiness. Number two, do the no and switch. Say no and offer an alternative. Number three, make the decision. Number four, it's liberating to know that you're not the center of everyone's universe. Number five, practice saying no, thank you. The more reps you do, the more you change the person you are. Number six, be the no you want to hear in the world. I love that one. Number seven, me time is a right, not a privilege. Create space for yourself. And number eight, spend 10 minutes a day on self-reflection. Ask yourself, how am I feeling in this moment? Why is that? What can I do to change that today? I love you guys more than I can put into words. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for being here. I know there's a zillion things you could be doing with your time. We have so many good episodes coming up. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you like today's episode, take a second right now and share it with a friend or anyone who you think is going to get value from this. Let's pass along this clarity of what's possible, permission that we can say no to things that don't lift us up. We can say yes to more things that can help us build the life that we deserve and go get your tickets to arrive before they sell out. Go to kathyheller.com slash arrive, or you can go to Instagram and enter the giveaway. I'll be giving away some tickets all week long so that you and your bestie can come to the arrive summit. It's going to be so magical. I I swear you're going to have so much fun. You'll be so happy that you came. You guys are the best. I'll leave you with a song of mine. If you want to come to the retreat, I have one spot left. First come, first serve. Go ahead, DM me. You might be surprised that we have a spot left if you DM me at kathy.heller. And I have a little scholarship money as well. Thank you guys for being you. And I'll talk to you Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. It's more.